I'm Dr. Michelle Thaller, and this is Orbital Path, a show from PRX about the cosmos and our place in it. Last week, the world was thrilled with the news that we had discovered a new planet around Proxima Centauri. Proxima is a red dwarf star, which means it's a tiny little star compared to the sun. If the sun had the brightness of a 100-watt light bulb, then Proxima Centauri might be one of those tiny little fairy lights that you'd find on a Christmas tree. It's also a lot cooler than the sun. It's known as an M star, and this star is officially the closest star to the Earth. It's only about four and a quarter light years away, and that sounds close, but that translates to about 25 trillion miles from here. Now, you wouldn't know it from all the media hype, but actually to an astronomer, finding a new planet isn't that much of a big deal. Right now, we know of over 3,000 confirmed exoplanets. So to understand the question of, we discovered a brand new planet that's really close to us, what now? We went to NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center and talked to somebody who knows a lot about exoplanets, Dr. Patricia Boyd. I'm an astrophysicist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, and currently I spend about half my time working on the Hubble project, and the other half spinning up the TESS Guest Investigator Program Office. TESS is the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. It's a satellite we're going to be launching to look for tiny little solar eclipses that happen when planets pass in front of the star and block out a little bit of the light. But more on that later. So to begin with, what is an exoplanet? So an exoplanet is any planet that is orbiting a star that is not the sun. And 25 years ago, we only knew about the planets in our own solar system. So exoplanets were a dream, something that people really were hoping to discover, but people didn't know one way or the other if they would be out there. And today, uh, we now know that exoplanets are incredibly common in our galaxy. And uh, there are planets out there that are very similar to the Earth in their size and probably their mass and some of their other compositions. So at the moment, there's two main ways that we find planets around other stars. So, so one is a wobble, and the wobble is caused by the gravity of the planet actually tugging on the star. And so as the planet goes around the star, the star is actually attracted to that planet, and it, and it wobbles. And so that, that's you know, one big way. And you know, transit is like a, a tiny little eclipse. You actually see the planet pass in front of the star, and the star's light goes down. So right now, those are the two ways we have for finding exoplanets. Now, now how, how did we find this new planet, this, this Earth-like planet, around the nearest star to us, Alpha Centauri Proxima? Proxima is known to be a dim, small star. Um, we call it a red dwarf. And we know that most stars are small stars, like Proxima. And one of the things that you can determine from looking at the statistical sample of the Kepler planets is that M dwarfs tend to have small, rocky planets around them. So if you're going to find another Earth, you're very likely to find it around an M dwarf just because of the pure numbers. And because Proxima is the closest star to Earth, it's a great target to look for that. So people knew that. They started to put together um, observing campaigns. And the paper that came out last week in Nature uh, shows a very clear signal. So there's a planet there uh, seen with a wobble. And we're fairly confident right now that this is a rocky planet, fairly small. Uh, bigger than Earth, maybe 1.3 times 30% bigger than Earth, maybe five times bigger than Earth. But that's actually, well, that sounds like a huge range. When you look at all the sizes of planets, that's actually fairly Earth-like, and it's a small range. It was actually kind of surprising to me that the public was so interested in this new planet. It, it, it's really cool that it's around the nearest star to us, but we've known about exoplanets for a while, and it, it certainly wasn't surprising that this star would have a planet. 
But I've been getting a lot of questions about, you know, what are NASA's future plans? What is the next mission that's going to study exoplanets? Well, I think one of the reasons that the public is so excited about it is because Alpha Centauri is a star you can see, right? You can point to it and say, there's Alpha Centauri, and there's, it's a triple system. We know about a third body because of telescopes, and we know about a planet around that third body. That's the closest planet to Earth. And so what NASA does is we plan large missions that everybody's very familiar with, like Hubble, but there's also uh, a spectrum of missions. There are small missions, uh, there are medium-sized missions, the explorers. And so we've had on our books for a while an explorer called TESS, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. And it's a very simple idea. It's four wide-field cameras that are going to stare at a region of the sky without blinking. Similar idea to what Kepler did. It's a fairly low-budget mission compared to the, um, the great explorers like Hubble and Webb. So it will launch within the next 18 months or so uh, to detect exoplanets around nearby stars. It's so incredible to see the progression of science that you have the Kepler mission that found thousands of planets by looking for transits, for looking at these, you know, the, the planet crossing in front of the star and blocking out the light. But Kepler only looked at a very small part of the sky. So now you have TESS, and TESS is going to be looking at a much larger part of the sky, all the sky, in fact. But then there's something coming up that really is kind of the 800-pound the gorilla. There's a really big, really exciting mission that's going to be launching in, a, in just a few years from now, and that's the James Webb Space Telescope. So tell us a bit about that mission. So uh, we call that the next big thing, the James Webb Space Telescope. It is a great observatory. It's going to observe in the infrared part of the spectrum. It's going to go out on a really interesting orbit, four times the distance from the Earth to the Moon. So that's about a million miles away, and it's going to sit in a special position that keeps it very cold. And we want it to be cold so that the detectors can um, not pick up any uh, residual heat, because that would be a huge background signal for an infrared detector. Uh, and it's designed to peer very far back to the earliest galaxies in the infrared. But it's also going to be able to peer through things like dust clouds or um, get a very strong signal from very weak stars like M stars. Um, so it is going to be a great machine for probing exoplanets around M stars like Proxima b. And it's being built right over there. I mean, it's like it's like right over there in that building. I mean, we can point at it from here, which is just so damn cool. So it's it's a huge project. So it's been a very long process as far as um, the technology development, putting it together. It's got um, game-changing technologies on board, not just for the detectors, but for the telescope itself. Um, the the mirror is a segmented mirror. And it's going to be folded up when it launches and it unfolds. There's a there's a heat shield that unfolds and unravels. It's just amazing looking. Um, and all that took decades to build. Uh, so right now we're at this amazing time where we can actually go over and see it in NASA's clean room being put together before we do the systems tests and send it on to get ready for launch. So super exciting. Astronomers always have to be thinking about what the next step is. It takes so long to build a, a giant instrument like the James Webb Space Telescope that by the time you launch it, the technology really is no longer cutting edge. And everybody is asking themselves, what's the next amazing measurement that we could make with technology that's just coming up right now? So in the case of exoplanets, this planet in particular got us thinking about some pretty way out ideas. How could you actually get to this place? 25 trillion miles sounds like a long way, but it's not impossible. So this is a really cool idea about the breakthrough star shot, about sending nanoprobes and boosting them to super fast speeds from the Earth with lasers so that they would be going at, you know, 20 percent the speed of light towards that system uh, to send data back to us. We've never built anything that went anywhere near that fast before. 
So the tiny size is important because it takes a lot of energy to accelerate something. What if you had a postage-sized, tiny nano spaceship with a little detector on it, not much at all, and then a huge laser that you just smacked this thing with until it accelerated to amazing speeds? As much as that sounds like science fiction, people are really thinking about that. That's actually something that their timeframes looking like we could develop a mission like that over the next 20 years, launch it in 20 to 25 years, and then have it get there in another 20 to 25 years. So now you're talking about 50 years from now, we might have probes that are just arriving at Proxima B. So for me, this is what the Proxima B detection was. My, my husband and I were, were calculating this one night. Yes, we do. You know, at, at our home at night over dinner, we, we're, we've got the pad and pencil out. Because Proxima is only about four light years away. Now, a light year is, is about six trillion miles. That's a long way away. We don't have anything right now that travels as fast as 20% the speed of light that you were talking about. But we could develop that. That doesn't violate any laws of physics. You don't need a warp drive. You need some patience. You know, if, you, if you're okay with sending a probe out, and maybe you're not going to hear back from it for 50 years. But if you, can, if you can do that, that's not that bad. We could send a probe out and have some idea what that planet is like, have even images of the planet. So just in the same way that Pluto's uh, new horizons flyby revolutionized our understanding of Pluto. You know, there's what we knew about Pluto before new horizons flew by and a tremendous wealth of understanding of the planet since the new horizons flyby. We still have lots of questions, but now we have a picture of what it looks like. You know, we know what's on the surface. We didn't know that before. We can do something similar with a flyby at Proxima B. And 50 years, I think, is a really compelling time scale. You know, we're starting to think about 50 years since Star Trek, right? And how that sort of changed our impression of what we could do in space. So there was an episode of Star Trek where Kirk took a, a woman from the 30s or 40s out, and he said, oh, here are some stars in the sky. Circling that far left star in Orion's belt. See? You just see stars, but I know there's a poet that lives on a planet around that star. A hundred years or so from now, I believe, a famous novelist will write a classic using that theme. He'll recommend those three words even over, I love you. And it was just a dream 50 years ago. But today we can say something like that around Proxima B. You know, that just looks like a star. But I know it's a triple system. And there's a dim star that you can't see. And there's a little planet around it. And in 50 years' time, we may be exactly in a position like Kirk was in, where we are pointing out stars that have planets. That just blows my mind. Humans and Vulcans at peace in the cosmic community. I'd look up to the sky at night And I'd ask myself, could it be right? Are there planets like ours around far away stars? Or are we all alone on our planet Earth home? Are we whirling around imperceptibly? Caught up in the dances of gravity? A random galactic anomaly This mission to the stars has been commanded by Justin O'Neill. Andrea Mustaine edits. John Barth and Genevieve Sponsler co-pilot from the PRX Mothership. We are supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More information at sloan.org. Special thanks to the Chromatics for letting us use their song, Dance of the Planets. Check out their music at astrocapella.com. If you like this episode and want to hear more, 
Check us out at orbital.prx.org or subscribe wherever you get podcasts.